0: last two bible reading okay grab your bibles out and i think um primary age kids you can head out to impact zone um dan's got you out there
1: a bible reading this morning comes from 1 peter chapter 5 reading verses 1 to 11 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. 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 Thank you for coming. This time last week, if you said I'd be up here speaking, I'd say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> we, we did have one scheduled a few weeks' time, but Rob's not well, and he sounded terrible when he phoned through the week, so do pray for him. But we're going to take the opportunity to um, give you a bit of an update on Africa in the mission, and we'll share God's word with you. Last year was 125 years of AIM since its foundation in 1895. Last year was not such a year to celebrate, but I would like to um, show one video this morning that just gives you a bit of an overview of how God has worked through this mission and helped the mission. The purpose of our mission is to help churches worldwide to fill their obligation under the Great Commission, to go go make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that Christ has taught us. So we're here as your servants, but God has... Done some great things, so let's just have a look at their first video. Thank you.
3: By the end of the 19th century, the gospel had reached the coastlands of Africa, but there are vast, uncharted, and unreached inlands beyond where millions know nothing about Jesus Christ. When Peter Cameron Scott, a young British man, visits the tomb of David Livingstone in Westminster Abbey, he reads the inscription, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He feels the Holy Spirit stirring in his heart and accepts the call to go to the inland of Africa. On August the 17th, 1895, AIM's first mission party sets off. Scott's idea is to establish a network of mission stations stretching into the deserts of Chad In little more than a year, he establishes four stations, all in Kenya. In 1897, Peter, Cameron Scott, along with two other missionaries, falls ill and dies. Several others decide to leave, and three of the stations are closed because of famine. There is one missionary left in Africa. The faithful prayers of that missionary and AIM supporters lead to more missionaries joining the field in 1901. A station is established in Kijabe, which becomes a- AIM's headquarters in Africa. Eight years later, a school for missionary children is established at Kijabe, called Rift Valley Academy. AIM missionaries also venture beyond Kenya, beginning work in Nasa, Tanzania. Expansion continues throughout the early 1900s, with missionaries continuing to follow Scott's model going into unreached areas of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Inlands of Kenya. By 1917 AIM has 164 missionaries in 30 locations. In 1918 a group of AIM missionaries on their way to DR Congo are forced by sickness to rest in Uganda. This enforced break leads to the beginning of AIM ministry there. By 1924 AIM's bases extend as far as the Central African Republic. Though the spread of the gospel into Africa's inland slows between the 1920s and 1945, due to the two world wars, in Kenya, 58 churches are planted in the 1930s, 108 in the 1940s, and 243 in the 1950s. In the 1940s, 93% were planted by African church planters assisting a missionary, or by Africans on their own. In 1943, the Africa Inland Church is formally established, giving Africans more leadership responsibility and acknowledging their role in the growth of the church. In 1949, AIM are invited to work with the Church Mission Society in what was then Southeast Sudan. This work is curtailed 14 years later, when a government decree and civil unrest forces all missionaries to leave Sudan. A new phase of missionary travel starts in 1970 with the establishment of AIM Air, enabling more affordable air travel. During the 1970s, AIM's desire to reach more people groups with the gospel prompts the leadership to attempt ministry in Mozambique. Prevented from entering by the Marxist government there, Work instead begins in the Indian Ocean Islands and Madagascar. Meanwhile in Kenya, the Africa Inland Church is handed over to national leadership, with AIM missionaries now serving the church. Ministry in Namibia starts in 1980, and missionaries are finally allowed into Mozambique in 1985. They arrive to find that through the war and communist years, the gospel has been quietly spread by Mozambican evangelists. Bent and Winston Webster cross into Chad in 1987 and start ministry at bar near the River Kari. This move marks the completion of Scott's original strategy, a line of AIM bases reaching from the coast of Africa into the inland of the continent. His vision of reaching those not yet reached by the gospel continues among the highlands of Lesotho in the early 1990s. The noughties lead to further development with missionaries returning to Sudan following peace agreements, beginning to serve the church as it rebuilds in Rwanda and starting to minister in the north of the continent. The move to the north begins a new challenge of sharing the gospel in locations where missionaries are not welcomed by local government. With 651 of the remaining 1,000 people groups waiting to hear the good news of Jesus located in North Africa. This move is necessary to effectively respond to God's call on AIM. 2016 marks a significant development in AIM's history with the launch of Vision 2020, crystallizing once again AIM's desire to reach unreached people groups with the gospel and to be a part of catalyzing the African church to mission. As part of Vision 2020, a diaspora region is opened, recognizing the movement of Africans around the world. AIM also develops the Mobilization Hub, which seeks to work in partnership with African churches and other organizations to provide services that will help mobilize more African missionaries. As we look to the future, God's call remains for AIM to go to the unreached. Currently, Francophone West Africa has few Christians, small numbers of churches and large numbers of mainly Muslim people groups. Many people in those countries will live and die without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you go to them?
2: You go to them? That's uh, a great question. As I said before, AIM sees itself as a servant of the churches around the world, and we're there to help them fulfill the great commission of going and making disciples among unreached peoples and telling them of what all that Christ has taught us. We we do need workers. Many of you know some of our workers. I'd just like to give you a quick update. last night we had a prayer meeting online as part of our AIM prayer week this week and Nita Finger shared with us she returned from Uganda on Christmas Day she could only arrive in Adelaide and had her two weeks quarantine there in the hotel and she shared with us last night and it's great just to hear some of the stories of people coming to know Christ in prison as her team ministered to prisons and she shared about one lady, Suru whom she spent some time just sitting and reading the Bible with, and this young lady came to know Christ. In her testimony, Suru tells of this lady, Nita, that comes and keeps bothering her with the Bible. But uh, bothering or not, she responded to God's word and came to know Christ. And she has got two young children. She's one of three wives of her husband. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're encouraging people to pray for Suru. Tim and Linda, some of you know, they remain in North Africa. They're ministering there through language school, teaching English. Most of their uni- or their m- work with mainly university students, and most of the universities have been closed because of COVID, but there's been some interaction online. They're hoping to be in Australia in April. But uh, yeah, keep praying for them. In a, Over the next month or two, Our South Sudan team will be returning home, Margaret Papoff and Chris and Viona Tyrrell, some of you know them, they've been here before, and uh, they're winding up the team among the Didinga people. Chris is looking at other options for them to go back, but they're very much trying to encourage Africans to go into the hills of Didinga and reach out to the Didinga people. A very isolated place, I remember flying in there in a little Cessna as a passenger. And we, we landed on this grass strip after all the cows got off. And up in the tree there, there's this little rough timber sign Nagashot International Airport. Because <laughs> we, we'd flown in from Kenya in South Sudan. But yeah, it's a very isolated place. One of AIM's ministries these days is, and our Bible passage today is on what we call the diaspora, displaced people, refugees. We're going to have another look at a quick video on our ministry to refugees, (coughs) African refugees in particular, right around the world. We've got teams starting in places like Belgium, Spain, France, just reaching out to Muslim refugees and African refugees. so Let's have a quick look at this.
0: People are fleeing from poverty, Mm -hmm. from failed nations, Mm -hmm. from totalitarian regimes, Mm -hmm. from oppression, from Mm -hmm. a religious ideology, and they're looking for hope.
3: We just want to welcome them, love them, and really demonstrate to them what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
0: Share God's love with these refugees. How can we lead conversations uh, to talk about spiritual things? To listen to them. Share our story a little bit, and then
3: tell them God's story.
2: See his ministry work through us as messengers of his word,
3: You know, we need God's supernatural love to flow through our
0: hearts. The growing number of African migrants and refugees coming across the Mediterranean into key port cities, we started asking how can we serve as an organization that's worked for over 120 years on the continent of Africa. What is our role now to serve in Europe? We have to serve the local church. Mm -hmm. We can't come in and start our own thing. It has to be through and under service to the local church. And so Pedro and his team really represents the local church here. My dream is that we we can work together and that we can bless them and they can bless to us and to their together to the refugees. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to to reach Mm -hmm. all kind of people, tongues, nations. And they're coming to find hope through a new nation, but really they come desperate too. And I think what's happening is many are finding hope in Christ.
2: I encourage you to keep praying for the the Diaspora ministry. We're we're really looking for opportunities around the world just to come in and help churches like you. um, Come in alongside and help outreach to Muslim refugees and particularly African refugees. My wife uh, just corrected me. (coughs) I mentioned Tim and Linda and I said they're coming home in April. I I left out two words, next year. (laughs) Not, not this year. I, forgo- I forgot where we were in the, in the calendar. We're going to have a look now at 1 Peter. This is a letter to aliens. No, it's not a letter to men from Mars. It's not a letter to ET. <laughs> but it's a letter to p- Christians that have been dispersed. Refugees, Christian refugees, probably a mixture of Jewish and, and non-Jewish refugees that were dispersed because of persecution. You remember back in the Acts, we read of Stephen. He was up preaching and Stephen was stoned for declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Jesus had died for them, for their sin and he was offering eternal life through his sacrifice. So Stephen was stoned at the feet of the man we know as Saul, who became Paul. And we read in Acts that after that time persecution broke out and Christians were were dispersed. They went they went many So so after Stephen's stoning, they were scattered around. I'd like to give you a quick overview of some of the chapters in 1 Peter. We'll, we're going to look particularly at 1 Peter 5 but there's some very interesting themes that come through the whole passage but again just, just picture this fleeing picture the Mediterranean Sea on the east coast or well on the east edge you have Israel to the north you have countries <coughs> now mainly Turkey and then it goes to um, what's next? Greece Italy and then Spain and to the south you have Egypt and the North Africa countries, Libya and so on but these guys were scattered from Israel generally and this letter is directed to those that went to the north to modern day Turkey but in this letter Peter began in um, his first chapter, chapter 1 verse 3 And he's talking about encouraging them to live in God's grace, to live with Jesus. And the Ryrie Study Bible picks up five themes, and all starting with a letter S. But the first one is security. Living in God's grace means security. In chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, Palm Sunday, as we look ahead to Easter, we especially remember the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But through that, we're given eternal security. All those who believe in him have security. Peter goes on in chapter 1, verse 13, sobriety. He calls his listeners and readers to be sober, in chapter 1 verse 13 Therefore with minds alert and sober, fully sober set your hope on the grace brought to you when Jesus is revealed to you at his coming. And a little later in verse 16 Be holy as I am holy. Take this life a little bit seriously. Think about it carefully and be set ourselves aside and be holy before God. Submission living in grace means submission. In chapter 2 He goes on, verse thirteen, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor, a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. (coughs) And that passage goes on and looks at submission in different relationships with slaves and masters, husbands and wives. It's promoting a submission that is mutually benefit to the partners of that relationship. Suffering. Suffering sorry living in grace means suffering so we've had the good news the security in Christ gives eternal life but following Christ will mean suffering Jesus suffered on the cross and died for our sin and we're, we're no greater than him we are less than him we're, we're going to have suffering Chapter 3 verse 14 But even if you suffer for what is right you are blessed Living in grace means serving And we'll focus m- more on that in chapter 5 That we are to serve each other in humility and serve God There's another S in this passage of 1 Peter That the uh, Ryrie didn't pull out but it, it's an S for stone <coughs> We are to be a stone it says that it calls Jesus the living stone. The stone the builders rejected, the stone has, that has become the cornerstone of a spiritual building, a church, God's kingdom. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious in him, you are also like living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. Because we are living in grace... We are called to humbly serve each other, to serve God, to rely on God and to resist the devil. And we'll explore that a little more in chapter 5. In the beginning of chapter 5, the beginning of their reading today, Peter first focuses on the elders and then the younger followers of the churches he he relates to the elders as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ certainly Peter saw the sufferings of Jesus Christ and it may be that some of these elders who were dispersed from Israel also saw the sufferings this book was written in about 43 AD 43 years after the birth of Christ so it's probably about 30 years after Jesus' death But Peter is reminding them of Jesus' suffering. He's appealing to them as a witness. Perhaps uh, we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul reminds us of, of first importance that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and on the third day he rose again. He appeared to Cephas who was Peter, the author of this letter and he appeared to 500 or more other people so Peter is writing from this context he has seen Jesus here, seen him die I remember the song by Casting Crowns you may know it but it has a chorus living he loved me dying he saved me rising he justified me Hang on, I've got that wrong, have I? Buried Buried he saved me. Rising he justified me. And one day he's coming back, a glorious day. So Peter is saying, I've seen all this, and some of you have seen this, that Jesus has died for our sins. He has risen from the grave. Remember that. As he suffered, as he was a servant, we are being called to do the same. You remember the the account in John chapter 3 Jesus was having a discourse with Nicodemus and he told Nicodemus he had to be born again and that blew Nicodemus's mind a little but Jesus said you must have a physical birth but you must have a spiritual rebirth he says he referred back to the story in Numbers where the Israel Israel was in the desert they had rebelled against God and God sent a plague of snakes They were being bitten and they died. And God told Moses at that time to put a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up. Whoever looked at that snake would be saved. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so I will be lifted up. And I guess he's referring to his death on a cross. But whoever believes in me shall be saved. Remember from that passage that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn or judge the world but to save it however it would also tell because they had not believed on the one whom God sent but you know this is the first encouragement Peter is giving to the elders remember the basis for your faith that Jesus died for our sins and rose again that we might have eternal life Peter reminds the elders not to lord it over their flock, not to rule in sordid gain, but to gently administer them. And he, The promise to the elders for for their job is an unfading crown when the chief shepherd returns. When Jesus returns, they will be rewarded. Then he also encourages the younger one. Some translations have younger men, but I think... Younger people that are, are not elders, but he encourages them to be in submission and following the teachings and the leadings of the elders. And this submission is for mutual benefit; it benefits both the elders and the, the, the younger ones and the whole church. It, it leads to harmony. So these are his first first passages that he encourages the elders and the the leaders to serve each other to be submission to each other by serving others and God we can show that, that God's grace is alive in our lives in verse 5 halfway through the verse <coughs> he says three great words that allows no one to escape all of you all of you all of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. This image of putting on clothes is not unique in the New Testament. Paul says those who are baptised into Christ they clothe themselves with Jesus. We are called in Romans 13 to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. And Colossians 3 Paul says believers should co- clothe themselves with virtues like compassion, kindness, humility and gentleness and patience but over all these put love which binds in perfect unity. But here Peter is saying clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Why? Why do we do that? He goes on to explain, he quotes Proverbs (coughs) God is opposed to the proud but shows favour or grace to the humble So so because of that therefore humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may raise you at the proper time he may exalt you at the proper time So part of living in God's grace is not only having the security of eternal life but it's having a cloth of humility towards each other you remember Jesus he he laid down his life for us as a servant and he's asking us to do the same when I was 19 I I left home for the first time permanently (laughs) I went to the Queensland Agricultural College up in Gatton west of Brisbane but I remember in those early days, um, we met some great Christian friends, become a part of a Christian fellowship and eventually leadership in that group. But in the early days, you know, I I've really started to feel a bit homesick. My family lived about three hours away in northern New South Wales in Wurlumbar. And I remember one day being on a telephone. Now, back in those days, the telephones were on the wall. They were about this big. You had to put <laughs> coins in them for them to work. And I was uh, using one of these phones and I just a bit overwhelmed, got a bit teary and so on. I was really missing home. But God uh, spoke to me at that time and he brought to me a verse out of this passage, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that really touched me and I think it's been a favourite verse ever since. And maybe uh, it was a bit appropriate that I was felt a bit like a sojourner a bit like a dispersed person away from home and the same here with these guys that Peter is actually writing to they're away from home but he says whatever your worries whatever your cares whatever your anxieties they've already been told they need to suffer and they have been suffering but he said whatever your cares are cast your cares on him on God, on Jesus because he cares for you Do you have anxieties today? I won't ask you to put up a hand, but uh, I imagine we we might have. If you didn't have any before last year, COVID brought a few. All the lockdowns and enclosures and separation from family and friends. Cast them on him because he cares for you. Maybe you've got other troubles in your life that you you can't talk about now, that's fine. But um, you know cast them on him because he cares for you i think casting our cares on jesus is a sign of what we're called to do in the previous few verses humble ourselves before god if we're not humble enough to give jesus our cares he can't help us pride will cause us to be self-sufficient pride will cause us to turn away from god but here we're being called humble ourselves to cast all our cares on him because he is waiting to help he cares for you humble yourself cast your cares on him because he cares for you praise God eh? in Luke chapter 18 verse 19 Jesus tells a story of two men who came to pray the first part of the passage verse 9 says he was telling this to a group of people who were renowned for having confidence in their own righteousness and looking down on others. It doesn't name that people group, but one of the people who come to pray was a Pharisee. And they too were renowned for that. A Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee was a religious leader. The tax collector were probably even less popular than they are today. But they they came together to pray. The Pharisee drew near and he said, Thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I am not like evildoers, robbers, adulterers, not even like this tax collector. I pay my tithes. I fast twice a week. But then the tax collector was a way off. He wasn't going to come too close. He didn't look up, but he looked to the ground. He beat his chest. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus finished that story. He said, it's the second man that went home justified before God. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Living in God's grace is living in humility. In 2021, Africa Inland Mission created a, a new vision. On the video, you saw our vision 2020, which is a six-year vision. And it was focused on reaching unreached people groups, engaging unreached people groups, training African church leaders, mobilising Africans into mission, But this one, for 2021, a year of recovery, a year of getting over COVID, it's quite simple. It's looking to the interests of others. And it's based on Philippians, but it very much fits into this passage from 1 Peter, looking to the interests of others. So that's the humility we're, we're called to do. But in the case of this vision, we're looking to the interest of others, and we're including things like helping new workers come in from around the world, giving them good paths of transition, good training, and really caring for them. We want to welcome workers from the majority world. In English, that means places like Africa and South America. We want to bring these guys in. That's a little harder. They're in poorer countries, but we want them to come and Make disciples of unreached people groups in Africa and, and the diaspora around the world. And we want to partner with churches here in the Australia and other mobilising regions and also in Africa. I think I, I said before that AIM's constitution says that our purpose is to help the churches worldwide to fulfil their obligation in the Great Commission. But Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. We are here as a tool for you. We'll help you send people. We'll help use your finances (laughs) just to, to bring the gospel to unreached African people. And we're also trying to catalyse local believers, whether that's in countries like Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, or in Africa catalyze local believers into ministry of outreach in their neighbourhood to the diaspora. It just brings to mind the young lady in Hong Kong. She's been served as a missionary in North Africa. She's worked in our office for a while. She's left the office now. She's focusing on the few thousand Africans, Muslims and so on that are in Hong Kong. And she is trying to facilitate local Hong Kong churches, individuals in those churches, to volunteer and just reach out to these guys. Some of them are in prison, some are around the streets. We could pray for her, but um, that's what AIM is trying to do this year. But for you, can you think of a way that you can take on a similar vision, a vision of looking to the interests of others? we've been called to clothe ourselves in humility toward one another and one another is the person next to you clothe yourselves in humility to one another and that might mean helping them or serving them in some way encouraging them blessing them in some way but just you know living in god's grace is about looking out for the interests of others In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter calls to the leaders to be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Did you know that your name is on the devil's menu? He is ready to eat you up. <coughs> the solution? Given here is to resist Him. Don't give Him to temptations, resist Him. The African Bible commentary says an interesting thing. He says, One of the chief com- uh, temptations is to turn away from God in a time of suffering. Now, Africans know a little bit about suffering, but they can easily turn away. But they say, Don't fall into that temptation, resist the devil. In James, some of you may remember, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here, Peter says, resist the devil and stand firm. Both, both views are not contradictory, I think they're complementary. Resist the devil and he will f- flee from you. But resist the devil and stand firm. In the, I'll read um, 1 Peter 5, verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Don't make excuses to do what you know is wrong according to God. Find out what is right by reading the scriptures. Remember, we live in a world that has a fairly loose definition of right and wrong. Right is for you to decide, whereas in the Bible it says right has been decided long ago by God. (coughs) So don't be fooled by that. We worship a holy and righteous God. And Jesus himself said, I am the way of of himself, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So let us not forget that as we resist the devil. So the final call there is to live in God's grace, is to live steadfast, to resist the devil. He will flee from you, but stand firm. The other important things to remember here is God will not leave you alone. He's already given us the invitation to cast all our cares on him because he cares for you. And remember Jesus. Jesus was tempted also. And he stood firm and the devil fled from him. So take courage from Jesus. And in verse 10 we have the reward. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a while, while he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Live in God's grace. Yield to God. Resist the devil. In Matthew chapter 6, we have a great account of how we can stay connected with God. Jesus is talking about prayer. He encourages people not to babble on God's not going to listen to your prayer f- For the many words Keep it simple Pray in private You know we have some other religions That make it very public Prayer but um, And you'll see black spots on their head Because they've been bending down or praying And maybe touch up with boot polish But um, that's a sign of And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And then he recites what we know as the Lord's Prayer which can be a template prayer or it can be a guide as we pray. The first three stanzas of this are really about glorifying God. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. So we're looking perhaps to the final coming of Jesus, but maybe the coming of the kingdom to hearts of men and women who yield to him and become Christians. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're lifting God up, glorifying him. Then in one little line we ask for our physical needs because God's already told us that, Jesus has told us that God already knows what you need us today our daily bread that's it but then we go on and ask for forgiveness and as we're humbling ourselves before God and as we're resisting the devil asking forgiveness and repenting every day is a good thing and we must be doing that forgive us our debts and debts of sin against God also as we have forgiven our debtors and then we ask for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Resist the devil, stand firm. Stay connected with God. That's our key to resisting the devil and standing firm in God's grace. Stay connected to God through prayer. In the <coughs> chapter 12 of 1 Peter 5, it's one p- verse outside our reading let me read it to you with the help of Silas, whom I rega- so that's Silas as in Paul and Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother I have written to you and Silas by the way is the, uh, the Greek expert and many theologians say that this book was really shows the sign of Silas because it's written in perfect Greek Whereas Peter, the fisherman, not so good at language. But um, <clears throat> I have written briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. <coughs> this, he doesn't elaborate on what this is. This is the true grace of God. It's got to be the gospel of Christ that is the central theme throughout this whole passage. That Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again justifying us and he will come again. Remember, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified me freely forever, and one day he's coming, a glorious day. So I think I got that right that time. (coughs) But that is what we need to hang on to. As we come to Easter next week, I'm sure we'll be mindful of Jesus' death and resurrection. But hang on to that. Remember, you know, in, th- in this passage, the first verse was security. We have security that believing in Jesus, we will have eternal life. Mm-hmm. It is appointed to men to die once, but then comes the resurrection. Hang on to that. God's grace makes us who accept it heirs of eternal life in chapter 3, verse 7. Saving grace comes to the unworthy and to the humble. And I think we fit that category. The power of opposed by God and refuse him. We can be sure faith will bring suffering. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, let me read to you from 2 Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me because of God's free salvation through grace we are called to serve him and to help one another we are to clothe ourselves in humility toward one another think about that think about how you can do that How you can serve one another. We are to humble ourselves before God because he is opposed to the proud and shows favor to the humble. But we also promise that he will raise us up at the due time. We are not to be tempted, we are to resist the devil and turn away from him. Just remember we are on the devil's menu, but we are to stand firm knowing God's grace is sufficient for us. And in closing, I'd read the final final verse of Peter's letter in chapter 5, and he says, Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. So Let let me just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who on this day is known as Palm Sunday Road on a donkey. But in a week's time we will remember particularly his mock trial, his death on a cross, his death on a cross for us, for our sin, his burial and his resurrection on the third day. And his ascension into heaven with a promise that he will come back. And as he was ascending, he commissioned us to go make disciples of all nations. So, Father, we remember these and we pray that as we live as believers in God's grace, that we will be able to show the characteristics Peter calls for today, that we will be able to be clothed in humility.